Hey there. Welcome to the More Miles podcast. I'm Lauren. I'm Scott. And I'm Michelle. And we are the More Miles Run Coaching team. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Um, we have a broad range of topics that we're going to be talking about today. But we're starting with our last episode was about nutrition for runners. And we really covered a broad range of topics from fueling on the run, off the run, hydration. Um, and I will, I will link that episode in the notes for this episode because I think it was really valuable information in terms of how to, what, what we recommend, what the guidelines are, how much you need to be putting in your body of, of different macronutrients, again, on the run, off the run. Um, but something we did not cover in that episode and we got a lot of follow-up questions about is why, understanding um, why we make those recommendations and how they are useful to us as athletes, to you as athletes. Um, so we wanted to backtrack just a, for a few minutes in this episode to cover the why behind the nutrition recommendations that we make. So that's where we're going to start. And then we've got uh, plenty of other things to branch off into. Uh, so to get us started on the why behind uh, the nutrition recommendations that we make, I think it's important to understand that we have two main sources of fuel that we use to provide energy to our bodies when when we run when we don't run you know to, to sustain our bodies um, those two primary sources are fat energy as well as carbohydrate energy protein can also be used as an energy source in in some extreme scenarios um, but it's a not our primary sources. Our two main sources are fats and carbohydrates. So let's start there. Um, Michelle, can you expand a little bit on um, how we use fats and carbohydrates as runners, as different sources of energy? Yeah. So there's two main energy sources, systems that we use as runners. There's, there's your aerobic system and your anaerobic system. And your aerobic system is going to be mainly fat burning. Um, However, I say mainly because no matter where you are in your training continuum, it's a continuum. You're going to use some carbohydrates and some fat, no matter how intense or not intense you're working. And then you have your anaerobic system, which is mainly carbohydrates with some fat supplementation. Um, now, with fat, your body stores a ton of it. Um, no matter how much body fat you actually have, there's enough to get you through whatever race distance you're going to have. So if you're running on mainly fat, you have so much of that energy in your system the problem is it's not super quick to get to. Your body takes some time to break fat down and break it up into glycogen to fuel your muscles. Where carbohydrates are much more efficient as far as they're quicker. Your body can break them down quicker. Um, so your body will kind of switch to that on higher intensities as the main source of um, energy because it's faster to break that down. And your body stores glycogen in your muscles and in your liver. So you have a ton of it, or not a ton, you have about 90 minutes worth. So it's good for, you know, up to like a half marathon for a lot of people, maybe not quite a half marathon, 10K, but beyond that, you need to take in carbohydrates to supplement that system. So um, they have endogenous carbohydrates, which are what your body stores, and then you have exogenous carbohydrates, which is what you take in. And that's why we recommend this. So you're going to supplement your body. You're going to take the carbohydrates in and your body's going to use those quickly, Get them in your bloodstream so that you're not using up your body stores of carbohydrates as quickly. You're not going to deplete them and bonk because you're taking in, you know, 30 grams every 30 minutes or whatever you can take in. So your body is constantly replenishing the carbohydrate stores that it has and you don't run out of energy, so to speak. You're not really going to run out of fat. So we don't tell you to take in fat as much because 
it's really freaking hard to run out of fat. You'd have to run for days and days and days and days at a low intensity to burn all of that out. But um, most races you're going to need because you're at a higher intensity over 90 minutes for a lot of our athletes, you're going to need to take in those carbohydrates continuously to keep fueling your muscles to keep from, you know, bonking. Bonking is when you run out of carbohydrate stores or get dangerously close to running out of them. Right. So essentially your carbohydrates are your energy source to help you go fast. You can't work toward your maximum speed, your, your higher intensities without carbohydrate fuel. And then your fat storage is low and slow. So when you are in an aerobic zone, which is your easier, lower efforts, your primary, your fat is your primary source of energy. And we have a lot of that to use and store. Like you said, you can run continuously for days, even a very lean person on the stored fat energy. Um, when you bonk, that's essentially what's happening is your body is saying, we can't go, we can't keep going at this high intensity. It's going to slow you down because it's out of high intensity energy. Um, so there's a lot of individual variation in how much carbohydrate a person can store. It's largely based on your muscle mass um, and your size. So the, the more muscle that you have, the more glycogen you can store in your muscles. When we eat carbohydrate, our body converts that into glucose if it's going to use it immediately for energy, or if it can't use it immediately, it store, turns it into glycogen to be stored in our muscles. So it, as we're kind of throwing around different terms here, carbohydrates that you eat, whether that is a fruit, a vegetable, or a cotton candy bag, turns into glucose or glycogen in your system. Um, so stored glycogen is our stored form of carbohydrate. For an average person, that's about 600 grams, give or take, um, that we are capable of storing in our muscle tissue. And that is going to come out to, again, as a really rough average, 90 minutes of higher intensity activity is as much fuel as we have. So um, th that's the key behind why we're having you fuel on the run. Again, just to kind of summarize what Michelle said, that you have a finite amount of that high intensity quick burn energy. And once you run out of that, your body is going to slow down. It has to, it can keep going, but it can't keep going at high, hard intensities. Um, and also to piggyback on that, it's not even just in a particular run, a particular race that we are looking to, uh, buffer that carbohydrate storage that you have. But as a training athlete, you are training multiple days a week. Um, you know, I, could be four days a week. It could be as many as six or seven days a week. And when you've got a hard workout in there, that's requiring a lot of carbohydrate energy to do the work. Um, you've got to be replenishing that so that you can also train again the next day. So even if any single workout is not long enough to completely deplete your carbohydrate stores, um, you might not have the carbohydrate stores to do that workout plus the next day's workout and the next day's workout and the next day's workout. So fueling your workouts, even if they aren't 90 minutes in duration, um, is going to help you perform better and recover better for the next workout and for the, the training days that you have ahead. And I think that was just an important piece that we didn't touch on. I think some of the questions that we got were, why do I need to eat on the run? Um, and I, that's the key. That's the difference is 
it depends on how hard you want to be working. You can work low and slow for a very long time without taking in fuel or without taking in a lot of fuel. Uh, but if you want to go hard and you want to go fast, you need those carbohydrates going into your system. Um, okay. I think that's the way. What happens when I hear, because I, I, I like to listen to people who, who tell me some facts around nutrition. I've done a lot of trial and error myself. I've done multiple types of diets and, and nutrition um, regimens. But what, what happens when I'm hearing, whether it's on social media or my family or other folks that say, that's too many carbs? 600 grams a day is too much, right? It just could be because they feel it's too much or they're advocating, let's say, a low-carb diet or lifestyle, right? And I think it's more so I hear and, and, and other athletes that I, that I talk to say it's something on social media. There's a lot of influencers. There's a lot of people that are pushing one way or the other. And sometimes nowadays it's become so polarizing. So who, how does that play into this, right? Who should I be listening to? What is, or, or a better question to that is, is how do I meet that in the middle, right? What would you say, Michelle or Lauren, as somebody that kind of hears all of this noise coming in? How do I balance that, right, with what we're talking about today? Uh, that's another good question that we got, too, from, from other people also, is the social media. Like, there's so much diet culture out there. And um, what's there's a, there's a lot of... There's a lot of diet culture out there. There's also a lot of good information out there that that applies to maybe different people in different bodies. Um, so I think th that's I think why it's important to understand why you're doing what you're doing, um, or why why maybe not even why uh, understanding what your goals are, and both in terms of performance and the exercise and the activity that you're doing, um, but also, you know, in terms of, and I know a lot of this comes from body image and, and appearance and things like that too. So I think one of the best places to start in trying to filter out and figure out what you should and shouldn't be listening to or taking as advice is identifying that. What what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? Because the the influencer that you see doing, I don't know, a, a cut and a, a build and a cut or, or a low carb diet or intermittent fasting or whatever the thing of the, of the moment is, might not have the performance goal that you have that you're trying to reach toward a, a PR distance or a PR time. Um, it, so I think identifying your own goals and asking the question, does, does what I'm listening to apply to those goals? Does, does this person have the same understanding of, of what I'm working toward? Um, but I think there's also a lot of red flags. I don't know, Michelle, what kind of red flags do you usually see on social media? I think we tend to, <laughs> between ourselves, kind of, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm sick of seeing this or I see this all the time. What are some of the red flags that we should be looking for? Yeah, there's like a lot of them. So um, it'd be kind of fun to go through them all here. But <laughs> I think anytime you see somebody that has an extremist mentality, and this can go to nutrition or anything else in the world, when you see an extremist mentality, you've got to be really cautious because you know, if it's an all or nothing, like zero carbs or all carbs, no fat, like you've got to understand we need all three of those macronutrients. So when someone's talking about excluding an entire group of foods, there's kind of a red flag. Like why? Um, you know, even I'll even say, and this is probably controversial, but like 
I'll even say if they completely exclude junk foods or like alcohol or cake or whatever, that's a red flag because, you know, like you need to live your life a little bit. I'm not saying you should have it every day, but like celebrate a little bit here and there. So if, if they're excluding something completely, um, I don't think that's, you know, I think that's a red flag. Um, everything in balance, you know, with a healthy, you know, like 80-20 rule or 90-10 rule with your diet, just like your training. Um, I think, you know, another thing is there's no flexibility and that kind of builds on that. If there's no flexibility or cycling or anything in your diet that reflects training, where you are in your training, where you are in your life, um, that's another red flag. So you can't be all on all the time, just like your training. You can't be all on all the time. You've got to have these little breaks. You've got to alter your nutrition to reflect your current training cycle. So sometimes you might be more lower carb if you're doing shorter, faster distances and you're not really focusing on the marathons or ultra marathons. But if you're going to be going towards those marathons, ultra marathons, you might need to be eating a lot more than someone training for a 5k. So, and what might work for someone sprinting, they, their diet might look complete or should look completely different than an ultra marathoner. So there's very different goals. Again, like Lauren said, you know, depends on your goal. Um, your diet needs to reflect your goals personally and with your training. Um, another one is when, you know, if you notice somebody's constantly recommending a certain brand of food or supplements or anything like that, that to me is another red flag. They're selling you something and you need to be aware that you're being marketed to. Um, if they're promoting, you know, if somebody's promoting whole food diet, great, follow that. That's a, a great thing to follow regardless of what macronutrient ratio you're on. But if they're saying, you know, you need to try this specific protein shake or this pre-workout, that's a red flag to me. Um, you need to look more deeply um, into that. Um, another one is scientific data. So I try to follow people who are very science-based. And even at that, like when we were talking about like intermittent fasting, there's new data coming out that for women that may not work, but for men. So you need to look at the scientific data for your demographic, whether you're an endurance athlete, male, female, your age group, and see if that fits for you. Um, a lot of times I, I'm nerdy, so I will try to find the, the scientific data and look at it. And if they've tested only 30 year old males, that's not for me. I don't know if that's going to work for me. So I'm not going to adopt whatever that was. Um, and then anything that's one size fits all, again, that kind of builds on that. If it's this is the best thing for everyone, that's a red flag because there's no such thing as the best thing for every single person. We all have to do trial and error and figure out what works best for us with not just our goals, but like health conditions we might have or our family structure, our lifestyle. Um, so it's all stuff you need to look at. Basically, it's any extremist all or nothing attitude to me or sales mentality. Um, you just really need to look, I guess, be your own researcher if that makes sense and dive into where they're coming from and see if that matches your lifestyle and makes sense to you. That was a long winded answer. <laughs> no, Scott, I think you had something to add. Yeah, no. And, 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 and I think from a personal standpoint, um, just recently, and the, the three of us have talked about this at length is my fueling for long runs. I was somebody, let's say a year ago that, sided more on low low carb and less fuel and i ran a lot of my runs fasted and sometimes i felt like i just ran better that way right because of maybe the way that i felt it wasn't until you know i tried some new things and incorporated not just fueling but um it was a shock to me to see in my because i track everything and to see the the carbs i was ingesting and i thought oh my gosh this is crazy but um it it didn't change anything and then that was in terms of like 
you know, weight gain or anything that I felt. I felt great. And what was the benefit of it was, is I was recovering a whole lot faster um, and I wasn't bonking, right? So again, it may seem very simple on the outside of me saying that, somebody listening to this and saying, okay, well, that sounds pretty simple, but it's hard mentally to make a shift, right? And so again, just trial and error and just figuring it out. And for me, it was kind of eye-opening. I thought, okay, I can take in this and I can change my diet and, you know, feel a lot better. And, you know, it just translated into a lot more of my life because I was recovering better. I had more time to kind of feel better after a long run. So yeah, that kind of really resonates with me when you talk about just trialing and figuring out what works for you. Yeah. So if you're recovering better, just like as a side note, you're going to train better because you can build on more mileage. You can take on harder workouts. You can start to train your body more. So that recovery is huge. And, um, I know personally, like when I started eating more carbohydrates, I was not low carb at all, but I wasn't eating enough, not nearly enough to support my training. I noticed my sleep got better because, um, you know, for a couple, like about two months I had a CGM on and I would notice at night, the nights I woke up, my blood sugar was crashing, like massively crashing red line. Um, and when I started eating enough carbs, my, I slept through the night because I wasn't hungry. My body wasn't like responding. So it's amazing what just adding some carbohydrates in your diet can actually do. And then I trained a lot better. I think that's an important message to drive home is just because you can, does it mean you should, or does it mean it's the best practice? Um, because I think even it, going down kind of the low carb train, there are a lot of professional athletes who advocate a, a low carb lifestyle. Um, and, you know, again, it's they they have done well. They've gotten away with it. Are they doing their best? Are they could they have a different level of potential though if they tried something different? And I think that those are things to ask yourself too, regardless of what your eating style is. That's not specific to low carb, but it, could I be doing something? Could I be doing better if I tried something different? Um, and I think that's when when you're looking at all of the information that's out there you know again like like michelle said there's all of those red flags of you know eliminating an entire food group and always never kind of statements or brand specific most of the time it's important to i shouldn't say most of the time it's important to recognize that when someone even that you respect and admire is promoting a certain brand doesn't necessarily mean that they're using that brand um, I think, especially in the running world where we don't see the kind of money that you might see in another professional sport. So your professional athletes in the running community are earning less and are having to find different ways to bring in money. And a lot of that is from sponsorships. Um, so they might be using a product or uh, repping a product that they don't necessarily use themselves or believe in themselves or they're not using it in the way that the product recommends it. Um, I think it's actually very common with uh, nutrition companies, with fuel sources, that an athlete will take whatever fuel company is sponsoring them and they will doctor that, that fuel to be the way they need it to be for their, so they might take a, a an energy gel, put it into a bottle, add extra sodium. And like, you know, you would never know that because you see them grabbing the bottle and it has the label or the logo on it. Um, so, you know, just recommend notice noting that with brands and ads and things like that, that 
just because it's promoted doesn't mean it's being used or used in the way that it's recommended to use. Um, I think the, the message overall is that the, the good information, the good data is not sexy. It's if it, it grabs your attention and is flashy and uh, you need to do this, you have to try this. It's probably not the best information. It's your your balance is what we're looking for ultimately. And that doesn't mean perfect. Again, as an athlete, your balance is going to look a little bit different at different times of the year and different points of your training. But it's it's never going to be in extremes. Um, and so that's that's the thing to keep in mind is, um, and you know, to the point of trial and error, ask your coach. Um, I think, uh, for the, for folks who are listening, I think a lot of them are probably our own athletes who have a coach in us right here. Um, but if you, anybody listening, having a coach in your corner who can help you navigate through that kind of thing, ask the questions like, you know, I saw, so-and-so pro runner recommend this, is that a good thing to try? Should I, sometimes, yeah, there, there is, yes. It's not that everything you see on social media is wrong and you shouldn't be listening to it. Um, so lean on your coach and, and ask those questions because we as people, as athletes, have done a lot of the trial and error ourselves and figured things out and be, become experts because we failed at something or we were trying to figure something out for ourselves and, you know, learned from it that way. Um, so lean on your coach and ask the questions. There is room for trial and error with your nutrition, with your training. Um, but we can help you to take that trial and error from a broad window down to a more narrow, you know, taking out the extremes doing that trial and error within the best practices and finding out what is best for you. Because again, like we talked about with nutrition, we have rough guidelines, but there is so much room for individuality within those guidelines. Um, so having that, you have an expert in your corner and they're also a third party outside of your own head that can help you to sort through the the ideas that might pop up from from what you're seeing on social media um yeah so lean on your coach or if you don't have a coach lean on somebody else in your life that you can trust a friend a family or get a coach who can be that <laughs> expert for you um but i think that you know we're we kind of have started this from talking about nutrition but you know when we're talking about social media it's not just nutrition. That's a lot of the stuff, the content coming at us out there. There's, there's a lot that we see. There's a lot of content on social media. And I think something that we wanted to talk about and branch into also is just that influence and, and what you're seeing and how it can lead to a comparison game, sometimes for good, sometimes not. Um, and, and how, what we see is maybe different than reality. Um, and, and, touching on that a little bit. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of what we tend to see on social media is success. Like that's, that's what it's for, right? That's initially to, to showcase your best and, and to share, uh, when you've had something cool happen in your life, whatever it is, a promotion, a, a race, uh, anything that's, it's a sh platform to share. I think we see so much less of people sharing failure. I think we see less of people sharing 
bad days and mediocre days. Because let's face it, especially in our sport, if we're talking about running, most of your days are mediocre. That's what makes a training cycle. They're not flashy. They're not terrible. They're not great. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. How do you guys, when you scroll social media, is do you tend to find yourselves pulled into that like comparison game of what you see and how you compare it to yourself? I do. Yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> and I can, uh, you know, I'll give a, a personal, I guess, experience where, you know, I, I did that. I kind of absorbed um, something. And it wasn't necessarily some one thing I absorbed, but um, I'm drawn to trail running and mountains and, you know, kind of that's what I like to see. And, and, and I like road running too, but I'm really drawn to trails. And so, you know, for me, I've, I've, done trails my whole life you know growing up as a kid i was really good in cross country so I, to me just trails are natural um but i did you know four state the four state challenge uh, two years ago i want to say um and thought yeah i can do this and and, and i'm ready and um wasn't going to break any records but i got done okay wait it. hang on what's the four state challenge uh the four state challenge is uh it is a run on the Appalachian Trail. It's 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 you do it on your own. So it's not a race. So four state challenge is you start in Pennsylvania. It's on the Maryland the Pennsylvania Maryland border and you run southbound to the uh West Virginia Virginia border. You could do it northbound too, I guess. You could start in Virginia and go to Pennsylvania. It's about 45-ish miles on the Appalachian Trail, which is all uh, rugged and technical and lots of climbing and all that. So a trail run basically. Um and it's known for, you know, you do it on your own and some people try to get an FKT, a fastest snow time. Um, some of us have it and some of us don't, um, but um, yeah. So I found out that um, I was very deficient in certain things after I got done with that, that run. So I decided to do that run um, a couple of years ago. And again, because I'm absorbing all this trail running, I think, okay, yes, uh, you know, I like doing it myself. So, you know, I found out that, you know what, there's a lot more to learn from this there's a lot more to know about going in and running trails than just thinking i'm good at the trails or i've practiced them a lot right um i found out that i was deficient in a lot of the the, the things that i needed to do from a strength standpoint you know i needed to to develop certain muscles i need to um you know to not necessarily hit the weight room but really focus on some of those things that are non-running specific um to become a better trail runner right and so it was very glaringly obvious to me that you know after a certain amount of time on that trail that i was i was pretty deficient in some things so i looked at that as you know a, a failure in the sense of i walked away from it wow i just i didn't do what i wanted to do but you know i learned from it um and so again i think that kind of wraps into where I really am drawn to trails, whether it's somebody on social media, an influencer, or just in general. I just like it in general. So, um, yeah, I learned a lot from it that day. Yeah, totally. And I think it, trail running is a is a great example of a lot of what we see on social media is the good days because good days on the trail are like epic, right? Like it's beautiful, big mountains, big sky amazing scenery and that's most of what we see so it's really easy to be drawn into that um and and yeah to to compare yourself against it and that's not all bad i think i think that comparison game sometimes can drive you to to try something to go somewhere to to do something um 
But I think we see less of how did that runner get to that point of being able to summit that big mountain or to run this long distance? Like there's so many steps along the way. They didn't just go out the door and do it. There's there's a whole process there that that goes into it that we don't necessarily see on social. What about you, Michelle? Have you gotten stuck in that comparison trap before? Or maybe not stuck. Stuck is the wrong word. Have you found yourself in the comparison? Oh, trap? yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's human nature to do that. And, um, you know, there's times and it's it's funny because like, you know, bad days. I have Strava. I know that's like a double-edged sword to go on there. <laughs> and I know the, the risks and benefits of being on there. And I love cheering for my friends and seeing their successes. But when there's parts where you're just having a rough week or a rough day and you get on there and upload your run and it's like, you almost feel like I don't want to show this to anyone, which is stupid because we all have bad days and like your friends, of course, of all people know, but you know, you upload that run and it's usually on a day where someone else is having an amazing day and you're like, oh man, like they had a great run. I bombed my workout. Like this sucks. So there's times where it definitely brings you down a notch. Like, um, but in some ways I love it. Like, I mean, I think it's good. It, it does bring a little bit of like, I don't want to say competition. It's inspiring because I don't really compete with, I don't know anyone that I'm competing with really. And I truly mean that, but I think it is cool to watch people succeed because that does drive you like, okay, if this person just did this, like, what can I do? Um, and I do follow a couple of elite runners. So opposite of Scott, I'm not a trail runner. I love my roads because I'm too clumsy to run on the trails. Um, <laughs> so I stick to my roads. Um, and I follow a lot of elite road runners, which is really inspiring. I think watching their, you know, it is, and I will say like people like um, Molly Seidel, she puts up there like her fails. And I love that about her. Like you see this great, great runner have a really, really crappy day. So I think that's great that she's genuine like that because we all have them. I mean, of course, her crappy day is still three minute pace faster than mine, but it's still awesome to see it. So I think it, you know, social media can really be great if it's used properly. And that's a trap, you know, whether it's running or any other part of your life, it's true. Um, but there are a few people I try to make a point of following like her, where I see this is an elite runner. This is her whole life. And she still has the same bad days that we all have. She's had workouts where she's just been like, I quit. I quit halfway through. It wasn't my day to do this. And to see that is really refreshing, I think. So I try to really focus like, okay, if these people have bad days, I'm allowed to have one too. Um, it's part of the natural cycle of everything. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely compare. It's not a good thing I'm proud of doing, but I try to keep it in check. Yeah, I don't think that needs to be something to be like not proud of. I think I think you made a real, lot of really great points that that social media is great. It's fun and it connects you with people that you otherwise wouldn't be connected with. You know, before social media running culture was what we saw at races and that was it races that maybe were on tv or maybe not maybe you read about it in your runner's world magazine or the newspaper or whatever um but it it connects us to the process what people are doing along the way too um so yeah there's there's good a lot of good i would say with the bad it not, it's not mostly bad or something like that. But I think it is easy to get into that comparison trap too. I think, and, and one of the points that I think we want to drive home as coaches, but also as athletes is that we don't see as much of the failure from other people because like you said, even on something like Strava, it's hard 
to share. You kind of you kind of want to protect your bad days and keep it. You don't want to show them necessarily. I think everybody is that way. So we don't see as much of it. But that failure is such an integral part of the process. It's a necessary part of the process, even though it sucks in the moment, it, it, even if it's just a day, even if it's just a bad workout that is one of 30 that you're going to do in this training cycle, that day sucks. But it, it is such an important part of the process if you use it right. So failure failure as part of the process being an opportunity to learn and, and grow from that failure. Um, so I think, you know, Scott, you shared a great one that was um, not not a failure in the sense of you didn't accomplish what you set out to accomplish, but that you learned so much along the way about what else you could be doing, what what gaps you were missing and what you could improve upon and grow. Um, I, I want to focus there a little bit more on failure. How How have us as athletes, but also as coaches and, and people that we coach and people we've watched and carried through this process, how is failure a part of success? Yeah, I think it, it's going to happen. I mean, failure is, it's inevitable, right? I mean, anytime that you're putting forth an effort, um, you know, the longer you do something, you know, you're, you're, you're just going to, you're, you're going to fail at some point. And kind of what I mean by that is, um, you know, if, if, if you set a PR, let's say, right, whatever that race is, it could be a 5k, it could be an ultra marathon, you know, you're probably not going to PR every single time you go out there, right? Because everything has to line up perfectly, right? You know, the weather has to be right, you know, your, your training obviously has to be right. Um, there's so many factors that go into it. And so I think, you know, when I hear an athlete ask me or, or talk to me about, oh my gosh, I want a PR, right? That, that's fantastic. And I've said it myself numerous times, like, I want to go out there and I want a PR. But I've also learned through the process of, of, of whether it's years of racing or just trial and error again, it's, you know, I found out that not every day, not every race is going to be a PR, right? And as long as we all understand that, um, if everything is lined up, a PR is a great goal to go after. But a lot of times it's just not going to happen, right? And so, you know, maybe an example I can give you um, for me, right, that, that would resonate because you were both there was, you know, the Salisbury Marathon. You know, I was coming off of two PRs prior to that. And I thought, here we go. Here comes another one. There was nothing to lead me to believe that I was not going to PR. But I ended up dropping at mile 19. I don't have any reason other than it just wasn't my day. Like, just there wasn't anything that I can point to to say it was nutrition or it was lack of training or it was this, it just was, it just wasn't my day. And so, you know, what I did um, was flip the switch mentally and say, how do I learn from this or how do I make the most of it? And so I ended up dropping a mile 19, got a ride to the finish line, took photos and videos of all of you and all of the, you know, the friends and people that were there and I made the most of it. Um, but I learned, you know, that, Hey, just, it's going to happen. And so I think when, when others ask me, you know, questions about, well, how do I handle it? Right. Or, or even just throwing out there, like, I want a PR. Great. How do we get you to that PR? But also let's talk about it in its whole kind of totality. Right. Like, like, you know, I, I don't want to set anybody up that you're not going to PR. Right. But I think as long as, is, you know, athletes are aware that lots of things have to happen. Right. For that to happen, but you can still have a great day, even if you don't PR. I think that's the thing to emphasize is PRs, 
are a great goal. That should be the goal, right? Like we're all striving for improvement and that is a, a definitive measure of improvement. Um, so that should be the goal. But recognizing that a PR is a personal record. That is the fastest you have ever covered that distance in your life. Um, and that's a rare, it's a rare thing. You know, like you said, that's, that is what we're working toward, what we're achieving toward or achieve striving for most of the time. Um, but you're right that the expectation that you will get there every time is maybe not in the right place, even if that's ultimately the goal. And, and I think you said that really well, that as your coach, if I could add add in there, I think going into that race where you dropped out at mile 19, I think that was part of the expectation. You had had a series of good races going in and you had trained really, really well for this race. And so all indicators were this was going to be a great day. And when it just wasn't like, you know, is that, do you think that that was part of it was your expectation going into it that your brain was prepared for one scenario and it just you know like the magic fell apart yeah i i i i think so and i think it was i think it was a combination of, of mental and physical i think the mental piece yes was was there and um you know mentally i i went into it sharp and i thought yes this is going to happen um my body had other plans um but i think also the physical part of it too was for whatever reason, maybe it was cumulative fatigue from all of the things that I had been doing to get two prior PRs six months earlier from that. It could have been that. Um, but what was not glaringly obvious, it just didn't show, it never showed up in the training. I was having great workouts. So nothing led me to believe that physically I'm not sharp or I'm not there. Um, but the body at the end of the day told me that, you know, it just wasn't your day. Right. So I think it was a combination of both mentally and physically, um, you know, and I, and I learned afterwards that it, it, it very well may not be a mental or physical kind of red flag or something that's going off glaringly. Like, you know, it, it, the, like a glaringly red flag for would be like an injury. Like, Oh my gosh, you know, I've got a, my knee is really flared up and, I'm probably not going to PR today, right? Or just something happens in your life and mentally you're just not there and you're not focused. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be those type of red flags, right? It just, something could just be off, right? And 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 when you walk away from it, and if you learn from it, that's all you can do. I, I like the way that you framed that too in, it, you didn't finish a race that you went to, to go finish. That was, that was the goal was to finish the event. And you took that into how can I make the best of it and spent the rest of your day doing that. And I think uh, that's an important message to drive home too. that. Again, as we've said a million times, failures are part of the process and they're an important part of the process. And the way that you accept failure is is really important to where you're going to go next and how you're going to handle it next and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily need to be a thing to be pitied like you know i'm so sorry that this happened it you had a great day i was there with you you had a great day at the at, when i saw you at the finish line and you waved to me in the car <laughs> driving by um and i think it really because of the way the attitude that you had around it that it didn't just sit as a failure or a bad day or whatever. You have taken it 
on the day itself, but also, I mean, this was what, five months ago, four months ago, how you've moved on from that and taken that into the next phase and learned from it maybe, um, but grown from it more and, and adjusting what you do next. Um, and I know, geez, Michelle's got examples of that too, of taking failures and adjusting and learning and changing and growing from them. So what, what about you, Michelle? How are you in your personal experience seeing failure and as part of the process towards success? Yeah, so every big failure has been a huge opportunity for growth. So when I first came to you, I had been running for 15 years without much improvement, like little incremental stuff here and there. Had completed a marathon and then had trained for two more and hadn't finished them because I had a hamstring injury. I think we touched on this in the first podcast we did. So when I came to you, I was coming off of three months of not running and learned a ton just because I hired you as a coach. And I was like, I've never had a coach before. Like, what is this? This is great. Um, and learned a lot and had the following fall, my half marathon PR after not running for three months and then jumping in. Um, and then, you know, went out for a PR the next season um, in Nashville rock and roll marathon. Um, and again, that was a, like Scott said, nothing would have told me leading up to that, that I wouldn't have a PR. A great training cycle. I just had a huge half marathon PR. Everything was going according to plan. I wasn't injured, but it was 90 degrees. <laughs> so, you know, that puts a little damper on PR. It was basically don't die. Um, I almost died. I didn't. So that was a win. I finished, but I didn't PR. So, um, you know, then I got my whole marathon story is a bunch of failures. I feel like, and I love it, but it's, it's been interesting. Um, I like to say I'm a half marathoner living in and trying to make it in a marathoner's world. And it's like totally my life. But, um, the next time I trained for Marine Corps last fall, got COVID, not got knocked out of that. There wasn't really a learning experience from that. I had a great training run again. Um, except that just, it was misfortune. That was it. So tried again for Salisbury. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if Scott touched on this or not. I don't, for those of you who weren't there, Salisbury was like a tropical storm. Um, it was, what was it? Like 50 mile an hour wind gusts and like lightning. Yeah. And it was, it was a horrible, it was terrible, terrible. All of the it, things. All of the things. It started off warm and humid when it wasn't supposed to be warm and humid. And then the rain came and it was like a whole mess. So the weather was a huge factor on that one. But um, after Nashville with the heat, I really dialed in on focusing on nutrition um, because I knew then something was wrong. I was taking salt at every aid station and that made me feel like a million dollars for like five minutes. And I would run for five minutes and then crash and burn. And um, looking back after learning more about nutrition and getting actual blood work done with like inside tracker, I was hyponatremic and didn't realize it at the time. Even though I was taking a ton of salt in, I wasn't getting enough. Um, and my healing strategy was off. So that led me to go get my nutrition certification and my run coaching. Nashville triggered a lot. It was like, let me learn as much as I can about running and nutrition and figure out why that race was such, um, pardon my friend, just total shit show when it shouldn't have been. Like everything else was perfect. My training was great. So I learned and that's what got me into coaching was like, what did I do wrong? And I didn't go into coaching initially to coach anyone else just to learn for myself. Like what can I do to make myself better? And then Marine Corps happened and COVID and then um, Salisbury. So Salisbury was a tropical storm. I had a great training cycle, um, but the weather didn't work out. And at, and at mile 14, 15, I was burning out. A good friend of mine was a little bit behind me where I could still see her and she was burning out. And we both had the same goal. 
And I think we saw it was slipping away. And it was kind of like at that point, like, let's just finish this together. <laughs> we each took turns dragging each other to the finish line. <laughs> we did. And I had a PR and it was a PR. It wasn't the PR I wanted. It wasn't the PR I knew I could do. But um, I still learned a lot from that race. Like, I can do this. I can do it better than I thought I could. Um, I didn't even give it my full potential and I PR'd. And I knew I didn't give it my full potential. I kind of, like, think mentally was drained. Um, but with that being said, I was mentally drained before that race. And Lauren, as my coach, knew that. We had, I had some burnout coming before that. I was on my third straight marathon cycle. Um, no breaks. It was just kind of constantly spin. Let's keep going to the next one. And I'm kind of all or nothing mentality. So after each race saying, I knew I could do more, I would immediately sign up for another one and not like take any time to like, think about what I'm doing. I was just, let's go to the next one. Let's move on. Let's get the next goal. Um, so so that's, if I can interrupt you for a quick sec, I think that's an important thing to touch on too, is that you, you had a success, you got a PR that day in that marathon, but it wasn't what we both knew you had trained for, what we both knew you were capable of with the training that you had invested. Um, and so I think the really, uh, this is where you're going, but I, I just want to emphasize, I think it's really common when you have a good result that you don't feel is good enough. The The common mm -hmm. next thing is to then you finish that race and then what? You sign up for another one. So right. I signed up for another. I signed up for two because I said, well, let's just go ahead and sign up for two huge races in the fall because now I know I can do better. I had two great training cycles in a row. I just don't have the results I want. So I signed up for Steamtown, which was my goal race coming up in October, and then Marine Corps 50K because let's go bigger and better <laughs> after that. So I had two huge goals this fall. Um, and looking back, so. <sighs> Two weeks before Salisbury, I had some bad burnout and I knew I was having bad burnout, physically, mental, like all the classic signs of burnout I was having. And we, we did, we adjusted, we backed off my training. I felt great at Salisbury, cured that. But I think what I did, I think physically that took care of it, but mentally it didn't. And I wasn't recognizing my own internal mental issues that I needed to address to keep going. I was, I needed a break and didn't recognize that I needed a break. And then seeing that PR, although it wasn't what I wanted and knowing I could have had that PR probably you know, if other things had come together, um, I was like, you know, let's just keep pushing forward. You've got this. And then God, how many months was it? It was like two months into the next build or next training cycle. Um, yeah, we were I, already in marathon training for we your marathon next marathon. Training. Yeah. We were starting to build and I've had, I had just had knee pain and I had knee pain in Salisbury. I had knee pain before Salisbury and just kind of attributed it to like, Oh, it's, it's normal pain, which this could be a whole other episode, I guess, when you're actually injured versus not. Um, and got to the 15 mile mark of this run and couldn't make it three miles without just being in tears. Um, I was like, this isn't, you know, we called it quits, got, um, so got, you know, the orthopedist involved PT and all this stuff. And so it's an injury I'm going to have to deal with ongoing. It's, you know, we know what it is, but it took me out of training for both races now. So both goal races are now off the table, which is kind of a heartbreak for a minute, but I think. Um, it's a blessing in disguise because I needed the change of pace. I've been just gunning for marathon after marathon after marathon. And my body had been telling me, you need to stop. We need a break. We need a recovery period. Maybe you can't do three marathons a year. This needs to back off. And I think that was, it's kind of taught me like maybe I'm built for one a year and that's fine, but, um, I'm really looking forward to it because this is another learning cycle for me. Um, because of the injury I've I'm very fortunate to have an amazing doctor we have out here in Westminster and then a great PT team. Um, we have a few of them that our team works with. And 
they've both been very great about giving me a lot of not just diagnosis, but like, here's how your body works. Here's why this is happening. Here's why this is happening. And here's why we're going to break your form down to square one and start over. So I feel like I'm completely starting over as a runner, which is really cool as now coach too, to have all this now like expert knowledge coming together and this whole team of people saying, okay, we're going to get you back, but here's what has to take place. So it's a whole new love, different style of training than I'm used to strength training every day, not high mileage. Um, but it's cool. Like it's actually becoming really cool to me now because it's so different. It's gotten me a different stimulation. My brain's working differently and it's a new challenge. Like it's a lot harder coming back from this than I thought it would be after only a few weeks out. But I think it's um it's a really big opportunity. So now I'm shifting to focusing on short fast distances, which I truly never have done. Um, I don't think I've ever raced a 10K or a 5K. I mean, I've raced a 5K, I lied. I've never raced a 10K and that's now my goal race, which is really weird. So, but I think that's cool too, is it's an opportunity. Like, you know, those first, first weeks uh, coming out of, you know, a, a race you didn't do as well as you wanted. We've got this high drive to go to the next thing. And training was happening. We were in the training, but the mental burnout was there already, even as we were beginning to train. And I know you were kind of starting to question am I doing the right thing from the, from the mental side of it? Um, and then it, obviously an injury that forces you that you don't have to make the choice anymore. The choice has been made for you, but look at that opportunity, you know, again, in, in both of those situations for you, the, the last injury that you had taking that as an opportunity to learn and grow and educate yourself. And here again, it, it's been years since your last injury, you're, you're stuck with one again, but, and, and it really sucked in the moment. There was at least a, a week or two of just this, this sucks <laughs> and, and that's okay. It's okay to sit in that space, but eventually here you are excited about what you're doing because you've had an opportunity that you have had to stop and rebuild and change and do something different and having that new stimulus and that change i think is the the light at the end that that you're working toward that there's there's failures in there and sometimes I, I was applauding Scott for being so cheery about his failure. And that's not always the case. It's going to suck sometimes. It, it, you're going to cry and you're going to feel like, why am I doing this and what is it for? But keep moving forward anyway. Not, I don't mean to keep running, keep training blindly forward. Just keep <laughs> the next day and the next day get through. And there is a light there. There is always going to be if you let it an opportunity and a learning experience and something to grow upon and something to change, I think, I think that's huge. And I think those are common. Uh, again, we just, we don't see that as much because it's hard when you're going through a hard moment, it is easy to just internalize that. You don't want to share with the world how bad your day was, <laughs> how bad you're feeling. And like, you know, we, we try to be positive people and, and we are trying to achieve and strive for the next thing. But, um, yeah, I think, I think fall, like you said, uh, on social or with the people you surround yourself with being comfortable with hearing other people's failures and experiences and and sharing your own along the way also. And I think one other thing I wanted to touch on that I really liked um, as a coach is 
like I said, with PRs and, and with chasing the next best thing, I think we have that as runners tend to have that kind of personality, always chasing the next best thing, whether it's faster, further, whatever it is. Um, and, and jumping into, I had a success and now I want more success or I had a failure. So I need to turn around and fix it. Um, and, and so, like you said, taking this one race and within a week or two, you had signed up for two more to, to go and do the next thing. I think it's really important to identify that changing your mind is not a failure. That is really important to protecting yourself as a person, as a whole person, and also protecting your body and, and protecting your, your training as, as an athlete. But making plans and then changing your mind or changing the method by which you do it, you know, whether training for this race is just not suiting me, I need to drop the race or change the race or take the goal away completely or change the method by which I'm, by which I'm doing it because it, it's not working with my life, my work schedule. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overstressed. Even if your body is capable of doing it, your brain's not capable of doing it. So changing your mind is, is a skill and it's okay. It's, it's not a failure to sign up for a race and decide to not do the race that is important and it's healthy and to recognize that in yourself, I think is a huge win and a huge learning opportunity too. So yeah, I, I wanted to emphasize that too, that just because you signed up for a race does not mean, I, I think we tend to get into a, I said I was gonna do it, so I'm gonna follow through on it. And I think that's important. Um, a lot of the time you're sticking to your word, but there's also a, a strength and importance in recognizing when your word wasn't the best choice and you need to make a change and and do something different um i think i think that's steve Madden's quote about doing hard things we've talked about this quote and it's um like sometimes doing the hard thing is not doing the thing like, it's something to that effect i'm butchering the quote because he had he said it so eloquently but we've talked about this quote a few times about sometimes the hard thing is quitting not yeah doing. and that sticks with me a lot yeah, doing the hard thing is not just going hard. That doesn't mean to push hard all of the time. That's not always the hard thing, right? It's knowing your limits. It's knowing when to when to quit, when to step back, when to walk away. That's the hard thing a lot of the time. I I think that's my failure experience right there is knowing when to walk away and you know how many failures do you need to have before you you change something. Um, but I think that's my, as an athlete, I think uh, my success is, has entirely been built upon failure that it, so many failures. <laughs> um, but I said, you know, in our intro episode, I said my, the distance, uh, it's not even the distance that I love the most, but it's the dis distance I can't walk away from is the marathon. Um, and that, you know, as after, after my kids were born and I kind of started getting into a more serious training regimen. Um, the marathon was the first distance I wanted to come back to and put a real hearty, serious training block in. Um, and I did, and I had a, I had a good result. I had a good marathon. Um, so then, you know, I wanted to stick with it. And the marathon to me at least is just brutal. It's very, you know, we talk about the comparison game, even on social media, the marathon is very numbers driven, like to, to hit the time you want. It's a very precise, you've got to run these miles at this pace. 
and um, we're very motivated by numbers goals. You know, there's Boston qualifiers and there's sub this number and sub this number, the Olympic trials qualifier. Like it's, it's just very numbers driven. Um, and so for, for several years, I was, was driven by those goals and, and running marathon after marathon, trying to get better, trying to improve, trying to find those little things that I could do better. And eventually just worked myself into a place where I had failed. I had at least two marathon failures. I, you know, I finished those marathons, but they were much slower than I expected, much slower than my best. It, it felt bad. Um, and eventually sort of decided I'd been beating my head against a wall long enough. It's time to walk away from this for a minute. Um, and actually at the time I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be for a minute. I thought I was done marathoning. <laughs> Fast marathoning is just was becoming too intense and, and too much. Um, so I stepped into the world of ultra running. That's how I got into ultra running was yes, it was more uh, than a marathon, but the pressure is so much less. Like you go, you ultra run to go out in nature and to enjoy and to experience something or to go somewhere, to go on an adventure. Um, and so found that to be really, it was a change, you know, like we're talking about with, with Michelle um, needing to chase something different. And, and Scott, you're doing the same thing in, in this current training cycle is, making a change and working toward just something different to, to refresh your mind, to refresh your body a little bit. Um, and then, so that's what I did. I, I got into ultra running just to make a change. Um, and lo and behold, changing the way I was training, changing my outlook on the sport entirely changed me as an athlete and ultimately eventually made me into a better marathoner. I came back to the marathon and performed significantly better and then had, you know, again, success, success, success in the marathon because I had failed so hard before that it drove me to pursue something different within the same sport, but to just make a big change. And that change then led to growth and, and success. And it, similar to Michelle, who you, know, you had an injury experience that really changed your training and the way you were running. And now you're there again, um, sort of find myself in that scenario again, that I had several successful marathons in a row, you know, I, one good one leads to the next good one leads to the next good one. Um, but now there's been several failures since then and not just failures in the results. Um, there's, there's a couple where, you know, Scott, like you, I, I had a failure in the results, um, actually at the same race the year before, uh, but the training was really good. Like I could, I was growing as an athlete. And so I turned that around into, okay, well, I'm going to chase the next one because I, I know I'm fit. I know I've got it. Um, and, and just that relentless pursuit of a very specific number and, and very regimented training is, is sort of, you know, pushing me to that burnout again and, and recognizing because I've learned that lesson before that maybe we need to have a little bit of a change here, change the stimulus, change the mindset um, to, and still believing that ultimately that'll lead me back to success in the marathon, but continuing to, to drive toward it and hammer toward it is not getting me there. It's not working. I'm failing. Um, so learn taking those failures and and learning from them and being willing to share your failures and and your 
that as part of your process so that other people can see that side too, that it's not just wins and podiums and PRs and, you know, there's, it's a process. Failure is an important piece of it. So. I think it's so funny that the marathon seems to teach more lessons than any other distance, like to everybody, like whether it's, you know, it's just that, I don't know, maybe that's why it's such a magical distance that people go after. It's that yeah. the lesson teacher of anything is marathoning. It's, it's incredible. Everybody says the same thing. Like that marathon teaches you a million things and it's not my favorite distance, but like you, I keep coming back to it. Like just something about it. <laughs> it just keeps coming back. <laughs> yeah. Well, Michelle, do, do JFK and then tell me if the marathon. Is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once you do, well, I, I will say this, that the marathon, I've done multiple, multiple fifties. The marathon absolutely is more challenging, both mentally and physically to me. It, it just, it requires more in a different way. Yeah. So, yeah. That says a lot because yeah. seeing you guys at JFK is like, oh, I don't know. I don't have to describe the looks on your face. <laughs> someday, someday. Someday. When my knees are better. <laughs> Not today. Yeah. One day I'm going to just surprise right. you and just show up. It, it doesn't work that way when you're, co when you're talking to your coach. <laughs> Well, no, you'd have to know. I'm not going to tell that. One year, I'm oh, going to gotcha. show up at the start line and not even tell him the whole time. I'm just going to show up one day. Mm, hey, what be... is there something going on today? <laughs> Weird. What's this number for? <laughs> how far? How far is this run? Five k, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you guys very much for sharing some of your personal stories. I think you know. Again, like we talked about, I think that's it's helpful to see what we what we just talked about that fail, failure happens and it's important and it it ultimately leads to success but also that there's going to be more failures still to come and and knowing that that i think we we all have had that trajectory of failing 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 we are all in a trajectory of working towards success right now uh, but knowing even when we reach a point that we have defined as successful it's not going to stay. It doesn't last. There's going to be more failures along the way to the next success also. So thanks for sharing your stories also. Um, on our next podcast, we are going to have a guest interview for the first time. Um, so talking about sharing stories, I'm going to save that one to be a surprise, um, but we're very excited. So tune in for our next episode. It's going to be two weeks away. So um, we are now sort of in a good pattern coming out of summer break and uh, starting to get into some good routines ourselves. Um, we are planning to do an every other week format here going forward with the podcast. So um, expect that next episode to come out in two weeks with our first special guest. All right. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to add or wrap up with? No. That's a good place to end. All right. Well, thanks again for joining me. And uh, you can follow us at More Miles Run Coaching on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And you can also listen to our podcast at The More Miles Podcast on Spotify um, or find us on YouTube. Again, our podcast is on YouTube as well at More Miles Run Coaching. And you can find our website, moremilestogo.com, and reach out to each of us individually there. 
All right. I'll look forward to chatting with you guys next time. Have a good night. Night. See ya.